Hi, I'm Leilon Hines, and this is How to Fall Apart with the Irish Cancer Society. In this episode, we concentrate on diagnosis. I speak to Dr. Darren O'Leary about the signs to look for and the early stages of receiving a cancer diagnosis. COVID-19 has affected breast check services. Currently, breast check screening is set to resume this month, but Darren explains how symptomatic referrals have continued throughout the pandemic, the importance of regular breast examinations, and always investigating and following up on any changes in your breasts. Any breast change whatsoever if anything has changed you know you can speak with your GP there's no concern too small that's why your GP is there we're there to uh, listen to your concerns and to examine you to assess if there if there is anything that we need to refer onwards so obviously any breast lump at all uh, needs to be assessed by your GP um, if you have any skin changes um, on the breast, really important to get it checked by your GP as well. You know, the, the skin on the breast uh, can have, you know, a lot of the other normal skin conditions, you know, like a mole or something that can happen on the breast also. But everything that, um, anything, any change at all needs to be seen by your GP. Skin changes, uh, any lumps. Any um, nipple discharge is another important uh, thing to get seen by your GP. Um, also, any change in your in the shape of your breast, if you think that there's any asymmetry, um, and also any um, if there's any lumps or swelling in your armpit, um, is important to have checked by your GP. So, look, any change at all, um, do speak to your GP about it. We do get examined. We are here. Um, that's what we're there for, you know, to, to see you and speak to you about anything that has changed. So is there anything further that we should be keeping an eye out for? Aside from lumps and aside from skin changes, uh, things like nipple changes, like nipple inversion or eversion, um, any ulceration um, of the skin is really important, and persistent breast pain as well. Um, you know, breast pain can be quite common, cyclical breast pain related to our menstrual cycle um you know you should still speak to your gp about it but persistent breast pain does need to be assessed an important point as well actually is that if you do examine your breast and you do think that you have a lump um but it's during your menstrual cycle you might be advised to examine again after your menstrual cycle uh, for further assessment and so um breast pain persistent breast pain is very important um to speak to your gp about I also spoke to Helen Cody and Maria Fleming about their experiences of receiving a cancer diagnosis. My sister Marion had had cancer, with breast cancer. Um, she was diagnosed in 2012. And so she went through a year's treatment and um, obviously it, you become very hyper alert and aware. And I had had sort of voluntary scans before that just to check, because you know, I just thought maybe. Um, but six months before I was diagnosed, I actually had what they were calling a cyst on my left breast. And I went in and I'm, I'm, the reason I'm telling you this is because it's very important for women, I think, to to just not take things for granted and to be very um, aware of their own bodies. Um, I went to Vincent's. I They did um, an ultrasound. I was told it was a cyst, that they could aspirate it and that under no circumstances should I worry that I didn't have cancer cut to uh, six months later and uh, I discovered a, a palpable on my right breast and um, I was actually due for the you know the, the, the breast check mammogram was just coincidentally was coming up three or four days later 
and I was still having my periods and I thought, ah, look, it's probably just lumpy breasts, just hormonal, it'll go away. And I actually really wasn't worried. Anyway, went in for the check. Um, the, the, the rules are that if you have a palpable lump, you have to be referred to breast check in Vincent's, regardless of what. Now, they said that there wasn't anything sinister, but because it was palpable, I had to go into to, um, breast check. Um, once that happened, I did an ultrasound, then they then took a biopsy and within you know, half an hour from kind of uh, starting to worry, I was told that not only did I have um, cancer in two areas on my right breast, I also had it on my left breast. So it was literally like being shot through a cannon into the wider abyss. Uh, I'm the third person in my family to get a cancer diagnosis. My twin brother had a diagnosis of cancer a good number of years ago. Uh, thankfully, he's all clear now. And my mother had a cancer diagnosis just a year and a half prior to mine. Um, so uh, everybody responds differently and everybody has a different way of dealing with it. And interestingly, all three of us had a very different response in how we uh, responded to the diagnosis and how we um, reacted to treatment and what way we lived our lives through treatment. And it, it, it's good to know that you have to go with what suits you, what works for you, for your personality, for your family, for your circumstances. Um, and I remember joking with my twin brother after it because there is this mythology maybe around cancer that, you know, you'll never look at anything the same and your life will be you'll have a completely different outlook on life and you'll see uh, all the positives. And I remember saying to my brother, you know, am I allowed to still be the same asshole at the beginning uh, as at the end as I was at the beginning? Uh, but if I'm honest, I am changed by the diagnosis and by going through treatment. Um, and I do try and look more at the positives. Uh, it's hard to gauge what level of change there is um, to my perspective because we've all been through so much change as a result of COVID-19 and lockdown. Uh, but I'd like to think that I have more of a positive outlook on life now and uh, I'm grateful for the small things in life. Um, uh, but I'm glad to be on the mend now and getting back to something that approaches normality. I remember when I received my diagnosis, my consultant saying to me, so you're probably looking at a year and a half of treatment. And in my head, I remember thinking to me that, uh, you know, who has a year and a half to give to cancer? I'll give it six months and then after that. <laughs> but. Uh, Thankfully, I didn't say anything out loud. And obviously, the reality is that I don't have control over how long the treatment will be or how much of an impact it has. Um, I do remember that I had planned try and have it impact as little as possible and try and keep going and to continue to work through treatment if I could. And I spoke to a friend of mine who had gone through a similar journey recently and she said to me, you're going to have good days and you're going to have bad days. And if you stay working, all your good days will be spent working and then you'll be at home on your bad days. And I thought of my two daughters and I thought I want them to have my good days. 
Um, so I took leave from work for the duration of my chemotherapy. And for me, that was the right decision. And it was great because I did have some good days and I did have some bad days. And we were still able to do the odd trip to the park or trip to town. Um, and I was able to manage that. And I went back to work then for the radiation. But actually, I was just back at work two weeks. Uh, I'd had my chemo, had a week or two off, then went back to work. And when I was back in work two weeks, um, Dublin was shut down and everybody was sent home. So I stayed working from home um, and I received radiation treatment through the pandemic. Like, I will never forget the head of breast check coming in and just literally saying, you know, like the queen of tarts in off with their heads, off with their heads. It was literally like off with your breasts. You don't need them. Get rid of them. They're they're not any use to you anymore. And they just have to go like, you know, you are catapulted into this fear, absolute abject fear. Um, the idea that I would lose both breasts, the idea that I had cancer, I was all trying to catch up with all the information and it was very overwhelming. And obviously I went into complete shock and I started to shake and crying and everything. And, um, it, you know, the, the, the system sets into gear pretty quickly after that. Um, I was told that I would have to have surgery. So there was a, from diagnosis to surgery, I think was six weeks. Um, and then it's very much a system. So you recover from your surgery and then you go, uh, once you're well enough, you go to chemo, you do your six rounds of chemo and then you go to radiation. So, uh, you know, when I look back on it now, I was so convinced. I know, like, and I'm looking back here, I am in the whole of my health, um, <clears throat> that I was going to die on the table. So I did all these dramatic things. I wrote a will. Um, Rory, in his infinite wisdom, proposed marriage and we got married. And I said, yeah, well, if we're going to get married, let's do it in three weeks. So we did it before, literally the week before I went into surgery. And um, it was like I was just lining everything up. Uh, I don't know. I just have had an awful lot of uh, difficult things that have happened in my life. And I just didn't want anything to be worse for him than I thought it was going to be. So I just thought if we're married, at least the house is secure you know, you know, putting everything in place um, and, you know, went into Vincent's for this six and a half hour surgery and woke up on the 28th of March 2018 at half ten at night going, feeling absolutely fark. I couldn't believe it. I was I was alive. <laughs> I could feel my legs, my feet were working, my hands were working and I had this really tight strapping across my, my chest um, and I was off my head on all kinds of God knows what kind of painkillers they were giving me and um, I had this amazing, incredible, euphoric feeling that the cancer was gone. And I'd never really um, thought about it otherwise. You know, I, from then on, I knew that whatever the, the doctors had to do, the surgeons and the team had to do, was going to just get me better. And the chemo was the insurance policy and the radiation was another layer on top of that. I realised on receiving the diagnosis that suddenly... A lot of conversations I was going to have were going to be around my diagnosis and around cancer um, because I had to tell family, friends, colleagues in work and um, there's a lot of repetition. You're telling the same pieces of information that you have to people. So I was figuring, well, is there a way that I can fast track this? So I set up a WhatsApp group and I called it the Big C 
and I put a picture on it of um, me at uh, on a trip to London that I'd had during the summer, big smiley bright photograph to try and set the tone. Um, and initially I was setting up the Big C WhatsApp group as a way to fast track information so I could let close family and friends know what was happening at different stages as I got further information about whether I would need um, uh, chemotherapy or radiotherapy or surgery, all of which I needed in the end. But as the information was coming through, this would be a way to inform everybody at the same time. But actually, that WhatsApp group, the Big C, uh, it's still going and it got me through so much because um, it quickly became a place to share all sorts of information, photographs, jokes, memes, conversations. And I had such support from my friends and family through that WhatsApp group, and I can't thank them enough for that. Um, and that helped me to deal with a lot of the fear and hurt and anger that I had at the beginning. Um, you go, you'll go through every emotion, and um, if there's somebody listening who's, you know, waiting on that diagnosis or had just got that diagnosis, I do feel in one way you know, hearing the diagnosis, that's almost the worst part of it in some ways. Well, for some people it will be and things will get better. And once you start into treatment and once you feel you're doing something actively um, towards recovering or getting better, uh, that is easier to deal with than sitting with the diagnosis and the unknown. Uh, there's a lot of waiting um, during uh, cancer treatment and around a cancer diagnosis, waiting for information on if it is cancer, if it is cancer, what size is the tumour? Has there been a spread to the lymph nodes? What type of chemotherapy will you need? Will you need radiotherapy? And each time you're waiting for results and for that information. Um, so as one consultant explained to me, there's a reason why you're called a patient and it does help you develop patience. So um, that's something that uh, people have to work on. I certainly found that the support of family and friends and my partner and my children was what got me through. Um, my girls in the studio were managing that. I was going from the shop to the studio, managing fittings and managing alterations and, you know, patterns and things. So and I, I'm really grateful for that that is something that that really works for me I don't sit at home I didn't sit at home bawling my eyes out I mean obviously I'd have moments in the evenings when Rory would come home and um it, it was you know it was obviously incredibly frightening um it did sort of help having uh Marion having been through it and, and be and and get better um but I still had this absolute conviction <laughs> that death was imminent because something would go wrong. Not not because of the cancer, but something would go wrong in the operation theatre because I just thought I've had such bad luck in my life that I think that could be me. It'll be, I'll be one in whatever millions of people. Um, I never even told my, my cancer surgeon that. I never told my plastic surgeon that. Um, I've talked to him about it since and he was, you know, he, he was really shocked because he said, I'm so sorry because I, I obviously wasn't reassuring you enough. And, uh, you know, but they were, they were like, I mean, like they're, people I had an amazing team and they were incredible but and I'm a very um transparent person so I'm afraid to talk about things I'm not afraid to voice my fears I and I think that also helped as well because I think and understand a lot of people would just bottle it all up and 
and I didn't do that. I didn't do that if I cried, if I needed to cry. I, um, Rory was incredible. You know, he's my best friend. He's my husband. He's my best friend. But he's he's so empathetic and so supportive. And he was with me every single second of every minute of every step of the way. One of the biggest concerns for me at the time was how I was going to tell my daughter. So I have a 16 year old and 13 year old daughter uh, who at the time were 15 and 12. Um, and uh, every time I thought about how am I going to break the news to them, I would get upset and I didn't want to be upset when I told them um, I wanted to um, give them as much positivity as I could around the diagnosis. Um, so I'm divorced and I share custody with their father. So I spoke to their father and we decided it would be really important to tell them together so that they'd be aware that whatever was happening and whatever was going on, that they had both their parents that they could talk to about this and who would be uh, supporting them through this. Um, I read the um, Cancer Society booklet on how to speak to children um, around diagnosis. And that was great to get some information and some suggestions uh, from people who had been through this before. Um, and I sat down to talk them through and probably I was playing it down and trying to be light about it. And I gave them the information one bit at a time. I didn't tell them everything all together. Um, so I gave them uh, uh, the information that I had been diagnosed, that I would have to have some treatment, that I might be in and out of hospitals and there would be different types of treatment. And then I waited for them to ask questions. And we talked through a, an awful lot of information and been over and back with information. And then the younger daughter asked me, um, so if you're going to have chemotherapy, will you lose your hair? Um, and at that point, I, I was trying to explain to them, uh, yes, I, I might lose my hair, but it's not definite. And then my daughter asked me, said, well, will you have cold cap treatment? Um, which I had only found out about the day before when I went researching it. So I don't know where she had found the information. And I remember saying to her, well, I think cold cap treatment might be more Hollywood cancer rather than Dublin cancer. Um, and we laughed about that, though I did find out more about the cold cap treatment, which I didn't have in the end. Um, but uh, it was a difficult thing um, talking to my children. And you do realise that they're experience of cancer well depending on the family but for my children their experience of cancer was primarily through hollywood movies um which is you know one particular view on it and i wanted to be sure to give them as much information as i felt that they would be able to take and um to mind them in that um so i also then contacted their school to let them know and to ask them to keep an eye out for if you know they might get upset over that and even things like i contacted my daughter's ballet teacher to let her know that they might you know that my daughter might be upset in class or might not be herself um so it was a difficult uh process to go through but we got through it all together and they were brilliant um, and their friends were very supportive. They spoke to their friends and a lot of their friends were very supportive of them. I am very happy, really happy that I don't 
have breasts anymore and I just have small implants and I'm very happy with those and that's good so to anyone who's listening to this and who is frightened and believe me I was really frightened um you have to put yourself in in the best trust that you will have which is in your doctors um don't google don't go off on tangents. don't look at surgery that went wrong don't look at mastectomies that didn't work out right because that all that'll do is is um impound the fear and make you feel worse um if you need to talk to somebody um i found arc uh, counseling an, an absolute lifesaver and um because you're in a very safe environment to to share your fears um in a very private space um they're very well equipped to manage and they've you know the, there isn't a question that you'll ask them that they haven't heard before um i think counseling is hugely important and i think a lot of people myself included um i was quite kind of it was almost like i was ashamed that i need that kind of help but that's rubbish because you know to 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 constantly rely on your partner and share those fears he was going through an awful lot of fear himself so to not overburden the people around you and to talk to somebody professional i think is a really constructive thing to do um and that's a really you know they my counseling and arc gave me the tools to separate the fears that i had from the diagnosis Every cancer story is unique, but hopefully the interviews for this series will prove that there are threads of commonality that can be pulled from each, which can provide support. I hope that this episode has brought you some level of comfort if you are experiencing or know someone who's experiencing breast cancer. If you've been affected by any of the issues we've discussed on this podcast, you can contact the Irish Cancer Society Cancer Support Line on 1-800-200-700 or visit cancer.ie. You can donate online at cancer.ie to both help support breast cancer patients and back vital research. This series is in conjunction with the Irish Cancer Society as part of this year's Cups Against Breast Cancer campaign, which is proudly supported by Centra.